Welcome to the Stonebridge Community Church online worship service. Today you'll hear the Word of God read, the message from this weekend's in-person service, and two songs to guide you in worship. Thanks for joining us today. I am Pastor John. For those of you who haven't met, I'm the senior pastor here at Stonebridge. And as Pastor Jonathan, our associate pastor, which again will never stop being confusing to each and every one of us that we have Pastor Jonathan and Pastor John, and we are two different people. Um, As he mentioned, we are beginning a new sermon series, and we're going to begin this sermon series by hearing a video testimony from a member of the congregation here at Stonebridge. So the way this is going to work is um, we're going to hear from Patrick Rieger, who is going to share his story through the video there. He will read a scripture passage at the end of that video. I'll come up here and I'll pray, and I'm going to do a short reflection on one of the themes in the passage that he read. Um, So that's the way this is going to work. It's a little different than how we normally do things, but just want you all to know with expectations um, what to expect here. So without further ado, let's hear from Patrick. Hi, I'm Patrick Rieger. Uh, I'm a new member of Stonebridge. Uh, My wife and uh, family have been going to Stonebridge for about four years, and then uh, we just became members this past year. Um, a little bit about me. I am a. Uh, I work in the entertainment industry as a writer and producer in children's television. Uh, I've lived in Los Angeles for about 15 years now, uh, and I'm originally from uh, Norman, Oklahoma. So a little bit about my story. So I grew up in the church. I was uh, raised Roman Catholic. Uh, had wonderful parents and family growing up, and then. Um, uh, went to school in Dallas and, and continued to stay pretty involved in the church when I was uh, in college. And then when I came out to Los Angeles, uh, it was a very big adjustment here. I was uh, uh, sort of bombarded with everything else that, that goes on in Los Angeles and, and specifically like how uh, rough it can be for uh, Christians in the entertainment industry. All right, so LA was a uh, uh, a very different experience than Norman or Dallas. Uh, LA is a huge city. There's millions of people. Uh, just getting used to the city took, you know, a year or two just to feel comfortable. I was living in Burbank at the time. Um, I had a couple of roommates and, uh, I was working weekends doing like, uh, I I was working at a job where I, I traveled a lot. And because of that, I wasn't really able to go to church regularly. And that was sort of the start of me kind of withdrawing a little bit from just going to church and and being part of the community more. As I got more into the Hollywood scene, it became clear just how different what I was experiencing growing up was to others that were a part of the industry or just a part of a city where um, you know any choice is possible. So it was really my exposure of you know life outside of the bubble that I'd been in in Norman and Dallas. Gosh, this is hard. This is hard to go into. But a lot of my friends, a lot of my roommates um, uh, did drugs, and so uh, drinking became drinking alcohol became kind of a regular occurrence when I was out here. Um, uh, my friends partied a little bit. I didn't do that much, but I was certainly around that. Uh, and so it was a whole different culture. And a, a big part of when you're out here is just being accepted. Uh, you don't really have anyone and you become kind of isolated. And so I was sort of latching on to the friends that I had that were accepting me, even though the life that they lived wouldn't necessarily be considered Christian. 
So there was definitely a time when I did walk away from being part of being a, a Christian and, and really from the Lord, I'd say I, those were like years I went dark for a couple of years um, where I wasn't really going to church that frequently. And um, I, I really couldn't figure out the, the messages that I'd received growing up and how they applied to life now. Um, what I was experiencing was a culture that was very much based on, you know, uh, the, the, the comedy method of like questioning everything, um, being, uh, trying to tear down everything to find sort of the humanity of it or the, uh, the, you know, what's funny about it and what can, what can it use to connect people. And I, I sort of embraced that. I sort of changed from being a Christian to being in, in comedy and seeking things that were, um, much more accepting in the community I was making uh, in Los Angeles. So that was a big change for me. I, I, I sort of went on and sought a different path for those couple of years. And it was, it was difficult. It, was, it took a lot to sort of redirect and find um, who I was and what I actually wanted to do. Um, and, and what I actually wanted, and who I actually wanted to be as a as a, a believer. And then in uh, uh, this was probably like 2000 2008, um, I, I had the opportunity to go to a new church. It was not a Catholic church. It was a, a Presbyterian church in Hollywood called Ecclesia, and uh, it was there that I sort of reinvested in my faith for um, a, a new period of my life. Um, it wasn't so much about the the ritual that we were doing in, in the church, but it was much more about my investment in Christ and, and understanding that figure in my life. Uh, Ecclesia turned out to be a great place for me. I, I met my wife there. Um, we spent many wonderful years together uh, in that church community. And uh, we had a family. We had two children while we were part of that community. and. Um, uh, they prayed for us when we had uh, some issues when our first son was born and um, were really just strong community for us. Uh, and then things started to change again when we moved out to Simi Valley. So this was a couple of years ago in 2018, we moved out here. And that was a, uh, that was a tough one. It, again, it was sort of like that first journey of going to Los Angeles for the first time. This was like going to a brand new community. Um, we were too far away to go to Ecclesia anymore, so we started to look for a new place. And it was hard for the first couple of years. We, we didn't really know anyone. We were still getting our bearings. Uh, Stonebridge itself was going through a transition, so we were sort of getting used to that while the transition was happening um, uh, with the, the new lead pastor search. And, um, for a couple of years, it was it was hard, and we just had to stay faithful and steadfast that um, Christ was at the center of it, and God was going to uh, come through. Um, so that kind of brings us up to the past year or so. Um, we've continued to be part of this church community. Um, we've been really invested in a number of the programs that Stonebridge has. Uh, I really love Alpha. The Alpha program was just a, a great awakening for me in my own faith, uh, just coming out of uh, a different community and trying to reinvest again in what I believe and, and um, the way that Christ is shaping me. 
And um, we've really enjoyed the small groups and the family groups that Stonebridge has as well. So that's kind of where we're at right now, um, continuing to get to know the community and uh, invest in the community as much as possible. Uh, I want to read a verse that's really important to me, and it's carried me through a lot of hard times of being in Hollywood and being a Christian in a place where it's not that common to be a Christian. And it's something I always hold on to no matter where I am. So this is uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Lord, we thank you for Patrick's story. We thank you for your faithfulness to him and his family, Lord. And we also thank you for the scriptures that he shared from 1 Peter, Lord. Help us as we look at the scripture to understand how do we interact best with people who don't share the hope that we have? How do we interact best with people who disagree with us, Lord? How do we interact best with people who don't claim the title of Christian? Lord, help us to learn from Peter's example here. Speak to us now through your scriptures. We thank you. We praise you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So first off, thank you to Patrick for sharing his story there. And it does raise that interesting question. He found himself in LA and found himself surrounded by people that he didn't share faith with, people who didn't have the same hope that he had. And it raises the question of how do you interact in those situations? And that's what this text in 1 Peter, the passage that he read, is addressing directly is how do people who lift up Jesus as Lord, who claim Jesus, interact with those who don't? I'll confess, though, that this passage that Patrick read, it's one that makes me feel a bit of pressure. I think it's because there's that line in there that says, always be prepared to have an answer. Always be prepared to have an answer. I can think back on many times in my own life where I wasn't prepared to have an answer to somebody. I can think back to times where I wasn't articulate enough. I wasn't clear enough. I missed an opportunity to share with somebody what I believed. So I think that passage can put some pressure on us. I'm sure many of us who have been following Jesus have similar thoughts, similar moments we can point to in our own lives. But that passage for me, there's another layer of pressure that was added to it. Because that word there, answer, in Greek, which is the language it was originally written in, that word can also be translated as defense. And this passage was presented to me as always have a defense. And it was interpreted as basically always be able to argue for the faith, to have a philosophical reasoned argument that you can give to prove somebody wrong if they challenge Christian faith. And that just adds a whole other layer of pressure there. I think it's important, though, for any of us who feel that pressure, any of us who think that, to realize that's not what Peter is writing for. 
That's not what he means. And the point isn't to put any sort of pressure on us. Though this passage may have been presented to many of us as you have to go out and defend the faith. That's not what Peter's actually talking about here. Like I said, that Greek word can mean defense, but it can also mean reason or answer or response. And I think those translations are a little bit better here. Because when you look closely at what Peter is saying, he's not saying argue people down. He's saying have a response for the hope that is in you for when you're asked about it. The point of this passage isn't to prove somebody wrong. The point is to share hope, to spread hope, to help other people understand the hope that we have. It isn't to point out the ways in which other people are falling short. It's to share the hope that is in us, to share the hope that we have. Now, it's easy to go to church. It's easy to hear all the lingo, to hear the language, hear words like Jesus and hope and resurrection, and to forget what they actually point to, to forget what these words actually mean today for us. The hope of Christian faith is actually pretty simple. The hope that we have, the hope that is expressed in the scripture is that God became human in the person of Jesus. Spent a lifetime, 33 years, teaching us how to live life correctly in a way that's in line with God. And then God in the person of Jesus went to the cross, died, and experienced death. But the story didn't end there. Though God experienced death through Jesus, resurrection happened, death was overcome, and because of that, we have hope that death is never the final response, the final answer. That death has actually been overcome, and we have hope too. That the grief we've experienced, the loss we've experienced, was overcome there through the cross. That's the hope of Christian faith. That's the hope that Peter is encouraging the people he's writing to, to be able to share to let people know, to invite people into. That's what Peter is encouraging them to do. Share that hope that death has truly been overcome through God's work in Jesus. Now, again, I go back to when this passage was first presented to me. This idea of always having a defense, always having to argue with somebody. Being able to defend the faith when it's attacked by people who disagree. That interpretation led me to become one of the most obnoxious people that I could be around myself. I felt like I had to argue with everybody. I felt like I had to point out logical flaws in people's arguments. And even when I was wrong, I felt like I had to double down and couldn't give in. That admitting I was wrong about something or hearing somebody else's perspective somehow meant that I was portraying weakness. Again, that's not what Peter is talking about here. In fact, that's the opposite of what Peter is talking about here. There's a sentiment right now in our country with a lot of Christians, not just our country, but many Christians, and this happens throughout history. Every once in a while, Christians start thinking that they have to stand and fight, that that's the point of being a Christian. Peter actually tells us the opposite, though. He says, suffer for doing good. Suffering for doing good is the opposite of standing and fighting. And Peter has here 
two things, two ways in which we're supposed to approach people who disagree with us. He's very clear about this, actually. He says, provide that response to the hope you have in you, the answer to the hope you have in you, with gentleness and respect. Gentleness and respect. That's how we're supposed to interact with people. And it's not just an aside here. It's not like Peter's just throwing something in there. This is actually who Jesus calls us to be, how Jesus calls us to interact with the world. Now, there's a slogan that's been going around. Since I've moved to Simi Valley, I've seen it here in town. And I want to say, if you ascribe to this slogan, take this as a loving challenge, what I'm about to say. Part of my job as a pastor is to challenge you at times. So if you have this slogan in a sticker or a t-shirt, I want you to rethink that and take this as a loving challenge. But this slogan that I've seen is, lions, not sheep. Lions, not sheep. You may have seen this around town. I want to say very, very clearly, that is the opposite of how Jesus calls us to be Christians. That is the exact opposite of how Jesus calls us to be Christians. Now, at one level, I get it. Lions are awesome. They're big, they're powerful, they roar loudly, they're fast. My son is very into lions right now because he loves the Lion King. In fact, this has nothing to do with the sermon, but just to show you how much he loves the Lion King, we were out to dinner with some people a couple weeks ago. We were out on a patio. And my son, he's two and a half, he starts running around because he can't sit still. He ends up over by the table of another couple who's on a date. And they're at a table like this, facing each other. He gets into a chair like this, looking over the chair at them. And he starts serenading them with, can you feel the love tonight? We grab them like, get over here, Casanova, you're done. They laughed about it. It was good. And I get it. Lions are awesome. They're cool. But at times, God t- calls us to think a little deeper than a two-and-a-half-year-old boy about things, Okay. And the point of being a Christian isn't to be awesome, it's not to be cool, it's not to roar loudly. And this whole idea of lions, not sheep, like I said, it's literally the opposite of what Jesus tells us. Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. He says, my sheep know my voice. His sheep are his followers. We are supposed to be sheep following Jesus. And he means that. So if a description for Christians is good enough for Jesus, I think it should be good enough for us also. I feel as though our Lord and Savior can probably describe what we're supposed to be better than we can. In fact, it's not even just Christians that Jesus is described as with with lamb, or Jesus uses that description. Jesus himself is called by John the Baptist, the Lamb of God. And just to be very, very clear, because I may or may not have been clear on this myself, a lamb is a tiny sheep. It's a young sheep, okay? may have had to Google that to connect. I'm not a farmer, okay? I grew up in Orange County. If a description is good enough for Jesus, it should be good enough for us also. He is our Lord and Savior, correct? So if he's willing to embrace that he is a sheep also, then we should be as well. And finally, the lions but not sheep thing. 
Literally, the book of Revelation teaches us the exact opposite. It's striking how opposite it is. In the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 5, John, who's seen this vision, an angel showing him this vision, is told, behold the Lion of Judah. The Lion of Judah has accomplished the victory. And then as you read on, you expect to see the Lion of Judah. And John says, I looked, and what I saw was a lamb having been slaughtered. The book of Revelation literally says, lamb, not lion. When you hear lion, you are to think of a slaughtered lamb. That's who Jesus' followers are supposed to be. This idea of gentleness and respect, for some reason, far too many of us have let go of that, have decided we can take it into our own hands and we can be a Christian better than Jesus taught us how to be a Christian, better than Peter teaches us how to be a Christian. Gentleness and respect are meant to define us to our very core. We are to be lambs. So when you're interacting with people who you disagree with, that should guide how you interact. You might think it's time to stand and fight, but that's the completely wrong metaphor. Instead, as Peter says, how do you suffer for doing good for people? How do you treat them with gentleness and respect? And ultimately, how do we share the hope that we have so that other people can experience it also? So other people can be rooted in that hope. The hope that the lamb really did accomplish the victory. The hope that death has actually been overcome. In those moments where you might be reflecting on your own life, thinking back to moments where you weren't articulate enough, where you weren't clear enough, where you didn't take a a direct opportunity. Instead of asking yourself if you lived up in that way, maybe ask yourself, when you look back on your own life, have you treated people with gentleness and respect? Have your words portrayed the hope that we have in what God did in Jesus, that death has been overcome? Have your actions portrayed that hope? Have you invited people into that hope? That's, I think, the standard by which we should judge ourselves after reading this first Peter passage. And not only the past, but moving forward. How can you treat people with gentleness and respect? How can you invite people into this hope that we share? How can you be a lamb in this world, willing to sacrifice for others so that they can understand that our God was willing to sacrifice for them too? That's what Peter is encouraging us to when we talk about interacting with people who don't share the faith that we hold. So may we be lambs. And with gentleness and respect, may we share the hope that we have. Please pray with me. Lord, we thank you for Peter's words. We thank you that in him, But we understand that you call us to gentleness and respect. You call us to be lambs, Lord. You call us to love and serve and care for people that the world would tell us should be our enemies. Lord, every single person you bring into our life is somebody who can serve to have their hope in you deepened. Wherever they are, wherever we are, Lord, we all can have our hope in you deepened. So help that be our aim. Help that be our goal, Lord. And with gentleness and respect, May we show people and tell people about all that you've done. 
melody of every song we could ever sing Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We can live for you Jesus, the name above every other name Jesus, the only one who could ever save Your heart. 
my life.